do we understand prophecy to be spiritually interpreted or literally? And that's, that's, that's where, where some of our family, what I call family differences are. This is where we're going to have a profitable study today, I think. Uh, good to see the prophets sneaking in there. Good to have you. Uh, uh, and so anyways, it's, you know, do we interpret the Bible, the, the Bible prophecy spiritually or literally? And that's really the dividing point. And so, our, like I said, many of our differences in Bible prophecy are what I call family differences. Godly believers in Jesus Christ differ. And, and we'll come down to those who don't agree. We're going to take a literal approach to prophecy. We'll take it at its plain meaning. Those who take a spiritual approach um, go end up with different interpretations. Uh, Dr. Walvard, the next slide, I have some quotes, and he said... Um, or, or in his book, he traced a thousand different passages on prophecies. And he notes half of them have been fulfilled, and those that have been fulfilled have been fulfilled literally. For example, we, we, we just finished the Christmas season. Where's the Messiah to be born, Herod asked the, uh, the, 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 the scholars. And they read Micah 5 and says Bethlehem. And so he says he's born in Bethlehem. And Matthew makes it clear Jesus is born in Bethlehem. In other words, it's literally fulfilled. Uh, and so the fu- prophecies that have been fulfilled were fulfilled literally. And why wouldn't we expect the next prophecies to be fulfilled in the same way? So that, but that, that boils down to the whole issue of how do we understand the kingdom? And, and, we, and I'll just give you these categories. Some take the amillennial approach. And so they say we're in the kingdom now. Uh, the kingdom is spiritual. And so Christ, when Christ came, uh, you can show a slide here. Uh, there's, uh, and then one more. Uh, Christ said the kingdom is uh, spiritual, um, or is what they said. And so in other words, Christ is ruling in our heart, and we're in the kingdom now. And I often say, well, if this is the kingdom, I am depressed. Uh, this is not matched with the promises and, and hopes of Scripture. The next slide. So what they're basically saying is we're in the kingdom now. At the end, Christ will come. There'll be a, a, a resurrection. Everyone either goes to heaven or hell, and that's the end of it. Next slide. You also hear post-millennialism that, uh, that believes that eventually the church is going to, um, next slide, bring the kingdom through evangelism and missions into the world. And so you, you hear some of the older missionary songs often, you know, we're going to bring in the kingdom through preaching the gospel. Um, it's good to preach the gospel, but that we're not going to establish the kingdom. Christ established the kingdom, but that's post-millennialism. And so here's the idea in this next slide. We're in the church period, then there'll be a kingdom, and then at the end, uh, the kingdom comes. You the next slide. And um, then Christ comes. So we bring in the kingdom, and Christ comes back after the kingdom. Next slide. In premillennialism, uh, we're told in the scriptures to pray, thy kingdom come. In other words, it's future. And we're to pray for it to come. Next slide. That we're praying for a literal kingdom on earth. And so the next slide shows you kind of the framework there. Christ died, rose again. We're in the church age. Um, there's going to, when Christ returns, he will establish a literal reign on earth. The capital will be Jerusalem. And so if we take the Bible at face value, that's what the Bible teaches. 
I'll quickly run through a couple, show you just a couple slides. Next slide is Mr. Spurgeon uh, was premillennial. So, uh, so here's a previous pastor who was one who was well respected today. Next slide. And he, he says, we expect a reigning Christ on earth. This seems to us to be very plain. And put so literally, we dare not spiritualize it. Uh, and so, you know, he's, he's, prophecy was not a big theme to him, but he said, if you read the Bible, that's kind of what you have to come up with. And you notice that's from the sermon, Things to Come. I wonder if he read Dwight Pentecost's book. No, <laughs> Pentecost was 100 years later. <laughs> so let's talk about the main program. Next slide. So we see the, the, the two Advents. We talk, we've just come through the Advent season, first Advent, second Advent, the first coming, the second coming of Christ. Next slide. In between those two comes the church age. And that's where we are now, and you can see that's what the church looks like right there in the middle. Uh, next slide. Now between the church age and the kingdom, go ahead, next slide, we, we see... Uh, the tribulation period, or sometimes called Daniel's 70th week, or time of Jacob's trouble. That's going to come before the kingdom. Next slide. But between the church age and the tribulation period, next slide, is the rapture, the taking up of the saints and the church into heaven. Next slide, it will, we can look at a rundown of prophecy, and just, just coincidentally, it's all in R's. I have to cheat on tribulation, that's why I have a small T. <laughs> but, but that's the basic run. There's going to be the rapture, the tribulation, the return of Christ, the reign of Christ, the retribution, or the great white throne after the kingdom, and then replacement, new heavens and new earth. So we can stop now and say, well, let's go have our lunch, because that's, uh, that's the thrust of it. So let's, let's walk through those uh, rather quickly, if we may. And again, I know some of this is, you've seen this, this before. We've talked about this. This basic summary here is slightly adapted from what we use um, every year. That's one, because the ideas haven't changed. But review, 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 to use another R, is so helpful. When I finished Dallas Seminary and I had, I had a course in Bible prophecy from Dr. John F. Walvard, you don't get better than that. But I still needed to start, go back and say, let me review this. Um, let's, uh, let's think again about that. And, and, and so it's good to just kind of put it clear in our mind. The next step is the rapture. Next slide. Next slide. Next period is the rapture. Next. Again, the uh, term rapture, a lot of people say, well, you don't find that, that, that word in the Bible, not literally, not directly, but it's, it's, it's based on the word in 1 Thessalonians 14, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Uh, in, in the Latin translation of that, that's the word from which we get the word rapture. It means a snatching up. And I like to point out that we use that word if we're ornithologists or in Terrell, we call them bird watchers. But next slide. Raptors are a class of birds, those birds that snatch up. Next slide. They snatch their prey. Next slide. Let's see if this will work. And then, and then, and then, and then click that again. Yeah, see what happens. 
I like this next one. By the way, you know uh, 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 that one ends up where uh, in the home of the the raptor. That's that's a good picture of the rapture. We're snakes in nature, but by God's grace, we're snatched up and taken home with him. Okay, next slide. I've shown this before, but not just the living are snatched up. Uh, I hit that again. There you go. You'll see here a piece of dead fish being snatched up. So that's another picture of the rapture. I love that. Isn't that amazing? But that's raptor, snatched and caught up. That's, that's what the Latin word translates appropriately, the Greek expression that we get rapture from. So next slide. So what is the rapture? It is the transformation of the living and the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Uh, for often I said the rapture is basically the resurrection, but, but really resurrection it means the, the raising up of the dead. The rapture is tr- it's the transformation of the living and the, and the raising of the dead, the resurrection. Next, what is the rapture? Next again. Here's the text uh, that we often use. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured up, snatched up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's where the Bible teaches the rapture. Next slide. And you see in 1 Corinthians 15, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The dead will be raised. We shall be changed. So the dead are raised. The living are changed. We're, giving, we're given resurrection bodies without dying. And that's one of the reasons we love the idea of the rapture. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And Paul even talks about, you know, I'd rather be clothed upon than unclothed. In other words, I'd rather be just given the new resurrection body without death. In one generation, that's going to be true. Next slide. So those who are asleep will die. Uh, are, um, we shall not all sleep. That's reference to death. Let's see if this next slide works. And click it twice so you can get the... Okay, next. 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 Let's see if that'll bring up the video. There we go. Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come... And you notice in that, not everyone there was ready, even though they were at a Christian meeting. So the dead in Christ will rise first. It's been suggested that maybe there'll be a cemetery sale on all the now empty graves. Here's another, here's one of my, uh, another one next. I love this one. 
Okay, no comment on that one. <laughs> oh, um, so, you know, you've seen the pictures. And some say, well, why are the clothes left behind? Remember when Jesus, after resurrection, his clothes were left behind. Uh, they found his grave clothes. When is the rapture? Um, for Revelation 3.10 says we were, the church is to be kept from the hour of testing. Now, or, or, so believers will and do experience testing and tribulation. But this coming period of tribulation, they'll miss. So some might say, oh, oh, you just say you believe in the rapture because you don't want to suffer. Look at 2,000 years of church history. Have believers suffered? Absolutely. So we're not saying it's the absence of suffering, but this time of judgment, suffering from God's judgment and wrath on earth, believers don't belong there. Kind of like the saints, uh, like like Israel in Egypt. God spared them from the Passover judgment. God took them out. And so in the same way, next. So when is the rapture? Another way of thinking about it is if the rapture happens at the second coming of Christ, that's the post-tribulational view, then logically that means there are no mortals um, left on earth to enter the kingdom. So in the judgment of the sheep on the goats next, um, we see in Matthew 25, next slide, he will set the, the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. The king will say to those on the right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. So there's going to be a dividing out. When Christ returns, they'll be saved and lost. The goats are lost, the sheep are the saved. And only the, the, the sheep, the saved, will enter into the kingdom. So here's my question. Next. If the sheep or believers... Next. If the sheep or believers are raptured, next, there'll be only goats or unbelievers. There'll be no sheep left to enter the kingdom. So in other words, if, we, if the rapture happens at the second coming, who's going to populate the kingdom? Because only believers enter. Next, the rapture is imminent, we're told, but unknown. In other words, it could happen at any time. Next. So that's... Uh, good advice. Be ready for the rapture. So next, thinking of our R's, rapture then tribulation. Next, the tribulation, next, is uh, we're talked, it's talked about in the Old Testament because it's about Israel. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. God's going to take Israel through that time, not the church, it'll, and, but Israel will be preserved. Daniel chapter 9 is the famous passage next. And it's a challenging passage, and, and, and we could spend a sermon or two or three or four un, un, unfolding all of the details. But this is where we get the idea it's going to be a seven-year period. Um, D- D- Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks. And in the context of Daniel, those are 70 seven-year periods have been decreed. Seven and 62 weeks, we see at the next phase down there, and then Verse 26, after the 62 weeks, seven, then 62, so after the 69 of the 70 weeks have passed, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. So that's remarkable. 
uh, after the 69 weeks, Messiah is cut off, and then there's one seven-year period left. That's yet future. So 69 of the 70 weeks have already been fulfilled. Let's look at this chart next. Next. Uh, here we see there's, uh, the, there's the period of seven, uh, 70 weeks. 69 of weeks have already happened. When does that begin? In 40, 444 B.C. is when the decree was given to rebuild. That's the starting of the 70 weeks. So if you do the math and if you go forward from that, and I won't get into all the details, it's a little complex because the prophetic year was 360 days because it's built on a lunar system. But if you do that all out, this period ends up into the time of Christ. And so this is something my, my Jewish friends really have to wrestle with. If the Messiah was cut off uh, 483 years after the decree, then that means Messiah has come and gone. What would that mean? Well, next. After the 62 Messiah is cut off, next. Then after that, the temple and the holy city are... so. So if you follow Daniel chapter 9, Messiah is cut off before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. So, my Jewish friends, Messiah came before the temple of Herod was destroyed in A.D. 70. And the people who destroyed that city, the prince will come, this coming Antichrist is this prince who will come from them. And he will make a covenant, we're told, for seven years. Next. And next. That's the period of tribulation. And next. In the middle of it, he's going to um, commit the abomination of desolation. So in that seven years, he will establish peace on earth. He'll, it, the tribulation begins with a peace treaty that's worldwide. It will include, apparently, the freedom to offer sacrifices in the temple, built on what Daniel 9.27 says. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, he takes over the temple for the worship of himself. That's the abomination of desolation. Next. And next, uh, there's some things, but next. In the book of Revelation, the, the tribulation period is described as having seven seals. The seventh seal is seven trumpets and the seventh trumpet is seven vials so you see that's kind of a like a telescoping effect here's a map that kind of describes it and sometimes we get a little confused what are we talking about with the seven seals these are not the seven seals next next i keep remembering next these are not the seven seals Next, the seven seals, next, there we go, is a reference to the seven seals of the scroll in, in Revelation 5, who is worthy. And the opening of it, it's, and, and, and in terms of historical perspective, the Roman will had, was a document with seven seals on it. Uh, it was sealed until the death of the, the one who wrote the will, and the heir legally took possession of what was in the will by breaking the seals and opening it. So that was a legal declaration. It's mine. And so who is worthy to break the seals and declare it's mine? The Lamb, Jesus Christ. 
And so that's what happens. So next slide. We see the seventh seal. The seventh one is seven trumpets. And then the seven trumpets next are the seven bowls or vials. And, and next slide is, this is briefly, just to show you how it all works out. We don't have time to develop all of that, obviously. To put it in perspective, next of Daniel's 70th week, that's what it will look like. Next. Next. Okay. So, uh, the, seven, the, the period begins with uh, a, a peace from the Antichrist. Next. Sacrifices were restored in the Jerusalem temple. Next. My understanding is there's a call, the, uh, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, describes a war uh, beginning from the, from the north. And we won't have the time. I mentioned I, I read a book this week by Mark Hitchcock, uh, and it's on Russia rising. It was 2017, I think. And he did a good job of a more, more thorough analysis of just the whole Ezekiel 38, 39 perspective. And um, basically, it's Russia. Now, here's uh, Charles Dyer uh, writing, I can't remember now, but you can see it's before the fall of the Soviet Union. But let's look at that more. Next, Ezekiel 38, 15, you will come speaking to this person called Gog. You will come from your place out of the far north, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bring you up from the far north. Now, in, in biblical perspective, sometimes you would see Israel invaded from the north, and it would come from Assyria. They're coming over the Fertile Crescent and attacking. But who's the far north next? Here's a map of the world, and Americans don't do real well with this. Texans can usually only find Texas, <laughs> and it's not even on this map. I'm sorry, some of you are looking. I know it's there somewhere. Well, there's, there's Palestine, okay, in East Texas. Uh, no, no. Um, Next, if we go north from Israel to the far north, what do we find? Russia. So when he says you're going to come from the far north, that's significant. Um, who is this people? Rosh. Uh, here's a good statement based on some ancient uh, studies. The Rosh people who lived to the north of the Black Sea in ancient and medieval times were called the Rus, Ros, Roks, Aorsi, from very early times. So Rosh, uh, some of your translations translate that uh, prince, but this, that word Rosh is a, uh, was the name of a people group. Ezekiel uh, 38 describes the various ones that are going to be involved in this war. For they'll come from the land of Magog, Rosh, Meshach, Tubal. Involved, verse 5, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them. Now this is an invasion coming down and attacking Israel. Next, Gog, uh, from we know from ancient history. Next, I'm not keeping up real well. Next, I'm sorry. Gog, and one more, Scythians, is the uh, Scythians, and this is where they show up on the map. And that area, it sh should be clear to you, Scythia is, that's the southern part of Russia. Next. So again, here's a world map. And let me just, uh, next. Okay, there's Turkey. Next, there's Iran. Next, there's um, Ethiopia or Kush by um, biblical standards. Next, 
There's Libya or Put. Next. Gomer is mentioned, and that could either be Germany next or Turkey. Next. And Ros or Russia to the north. Next. Magog, possibly from this region. Where's Israel? Next. Dead center. So in Ezekiel 38, they're going to be hit, led by the prince from the north. So a Russia-led confederacy will invade Israel. And the amazing thing is they're defeated. And, And God does it. I mean, we're talking hailstones. We're talking fire and brimstone. Uh, They'll turn their swords on each other, but there'll be this massive... Israel won't have to defend themselves. God will do it. And in doing it, it'll be a tremendously weakening influence. And and, And I think this is partly of how the Antichrist really rises to world power. Russia is taken out. The north, the kings of the north, south, and west who are in the confederacy with them become more minor players and that allows the Antichrist fills the world power vacuum as he comes to the fore. And so there, then that leads to the issues in the world tribulation period. At the midpoint of the tribulation is Satan's fury. Uh, he's finally, finally cast out of heaven permanently. Uh, he has already fallen, but he is not cast out until, like Job sees Satan uh, you know, if, appearing with the angels the, uh, and, and God calling them accountable. Where have you been? What are you doing? So finally, finally, and, and, and Revelation 12 says, uh, next slide, um, that, that Satan, when he's cast out to heaven, rejoices. <laughs> you, you, some neighborhoods, maybe you've lived in a neighborhood like that. When someone moved out, the whole neighborhood kind of has a little party. Finally, they're gone. Um, that's what it'll be celebration in heaven. Next slide. So the great dragon cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now the problem is next. He knows then, he knows his Bible too. Remember, he can quote it to Jesus. He knows his time is short. Next, there's the peace treaty. Next, there's the temple. At the midpoint of the tribulation, we see what's called the 666. Next, the abomination in the Jerusalem temple. And he will have that number 666 next. There'll be during this period, as a result of that rise to power and the filling of the vacuum, Revelation 13, 7, authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. He'll become the world-dominating influence, a centralized world government. Next. There'll be a centralized world religion. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Next. A one-world economy. Now, so what I'll be doing in our prophetic update is I'm going to say, let's look at some of these end time um, events and characteristics, and do we see a progress towards that in the day to day? I'm not saying this is that. Um, I always say I probably would have stumbled in this. If I had lived in the days of World War II, I probably would have said, I know who the Antichrist is, and he wears, he has a mustache. Um, I would, you know, I probably, I would have been so tempted because he's so fit the character of this coming Antichrist person. Um, the, and, and some have suggested maybe he was a candidate. And say, see, do you remember Jesus said, you know, even, he had, even the Son of Man doesn't know when the second coming is going to be. So Satan doesn't know. But he knows at some point 
things are going to happen quickly, and he's going to have to have a candidate ready to go. And maybe, maybe he thought it was, you know, maybe he thought this Hitler guy would be a good candidate. Anyway, um, we don't know who it is, but we're going to look at some of these things and say, are there characteristics that show a, a leaning in that direction? At the end of the seven-year period, next will come what's called Armageddon. Um, that that really is the armies of the world will gather there to attack Israel. Next slide. It's called Armageddon, which because that's just Hebrew for the hill of Megiddo, uh, which is in this, the, the beautiful plains of uh, Galilee region, a great gathering place for for war. Uh, I understand that when Napoleon came through the area, he looked out over the plains of Megiddo and he thought this would be a great place for a war. You know, that's that's how warriors look at things. You know. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, next slide. Ronald Reagan said in 1971, he was then governor of California, uh, he said, for the first time ever, everything is in place for the Battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. In 1983, he said, you know, I turn back to your ancient prophets in the Old Testament and the signs foretelling Armageddon. I find myself wondering if, if we're the generation going to see what's coming about. I don't know if you've noted any of those prophecies lately, but believe me, they're certainly described the times. Well, he was saying that in the 1980s. Uh, I came across this other quote uh, this week. In 1971, Reagan, then governor of uh, California, attended a banquet, and uh, he asked this uh, fellow, James Mills, a state senator, if he was familiar with the fierce Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. And he went on to explain that Russia was the Magog described in Ezekiel's prophecy and was thus doomed to destruction. Who knew? (laughs) And this is back when he was the uh, governor. Um, apparently, he, Ezekiel was his favorite book, and, and so he he was a student of that, and he saw, um, and, and so he saw Russia through the lens of Ezekiel. Well, let's go back to our R's. We've only gotten to point three: the rapture, the tribulation. Then will come the return, the second coming of Christ. He's going to come back as literally. Thank you. You got to read my mind too. <laughs> He's got to come back literally, and. Um, and reign on earth. He's going to come as just as literally the second time as he did the first time. And remember in Acts 1, as they watched him go up into the clouds, they said he's going to come back in the same way. Next slide. Uh, Titus 2, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. He will return. Next slide. So in our R's, following the return of Christ will be the reign of Christ or the millennial kingdom. Next slide. Next Israel is, is, it will be in the promised land. It was promised to Abraham, so the promises of the, to Abraham are fulfilled. This is where our, our, our brethren who take a, a, a spiritual approach, they want to say, therefore, um, it, you know, Israel is not going to be returned as, to an, as a nation. Uh, so this is referring to the church in the world. And so you've got to spiritualize who's Israel and where's the land. Um, and, for example, I heard a sermon on Genesis 15 uh, where Abraham was promised that he, all this land would be you know, held by his descendants. And the understanding that was given by an all-millennialist was, well, that's a reference to world evangelism. You know, it's one of those things where you start taking your Bible, and maybe I'm not reading this correctly. Um, so you, gotta, you have to spiritualize it. But if you take it literally, that promise has not been fulfilled. It will be in the kingdom next. Um, God made an irrevocable promise. I will not cast Israel away. Nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. 
God keeps his promises. He made a promise to Abraham that has not yet been fulfilled. Sometimes we blow it. We make promises that we can't and don't fulfill. God can and will fulfill his promises. And he says, that's who I am. Next. So here's one way we could understand what the property will look like because it's uh, all the way over to the Euphrates River and down to the river of Egypt. And there's a question, is that a, like a brook or is that actually the, 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 the Nile River? But they've never held this land. Now, they've, they've dominated much of that, say, under David, but there's a pro- difference between holding it under some of these as vassal states and actually it's your property. Uh, the kingdom pro- blessings, next. Um, there's going to be righteous government. We're not in the kingdom. Uh, it'd be a time of peace. We are not in the kingdom. Uh, a time of incredible health. We are not in the kingdom. Next. You know the familiar passage. The wolf will dwell, dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Um, you know, the, the whole point is, and we read this, I think, last week in our call to worship. Um, the child will play by the snake's uh, den and put their hand down in the viper's hole. And, you know, that just causes parents to be horrified, but there, there won't be harm then. Even, you know, the, the lion will graze like an ox. Next, we've seen pictures like that. This is what the kingdom will look like. Next, uh, we're told it'll be, there'll be an incredibly long life during that time. The child died 100 years old. Now, if someone reaches 100, oh, that's a historic event. The local newspaper comes out, takes pictures. Then it's, oh, what a shame. Something, you know, there must be because of sin. Next. Uh, the world be ruled by Christ from Jerusalem. Next. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Next. The inhabitants, we're told, will be next. Only believers will enter the kingdom. Next. Children will be born in the kingdom. Next. And um, so, so the, what that says is believing mortals are the ones who go into the kingdom. Those who, the, the resurrected can't have children. Those who survive the tribulation, those born will be mortal. Some will die. Next. Not all will come to faith. Next. And so because of that, um, there will be a rebellion at the end of the kingdom. But now it's, that's, that's always a compelling statement to me. Sometimes we want to claim a promise that's, that's not in the scriptures. And we say, well, if a you know, believer's children will eventually come to faith. Well, only believers enter into the kingdom, and they'll be giving birth to people who do not embrace Christ and who will ultimately violently rebel against him. Finally, at the end of that, there'll be a great retribution or the great right throne judgment next, which is the condemnation of unbelievers. There'll be no place for the believers at the great white throne of judgment. Next. The replacement. Following that next is the eternal state or the new heavens and new earth described in Revelation 21 and 22. So the question is, are you ready? So that's the framework. Now in our next two sessions, we're going to come and spend some time showing how world events are starting to fit with those things. And and that hopefully will make more sense. Uh, And we have two minutes or so for questions. Any questions on that? Yes, go ahead.
Um, many, many, many will come to faith. Countless numbers, untold numbers from all tribes and peoples will come to faith during the tribulation. So there will be a tremendous, uh, if you will, like a re- world revival, if you will. Many will come to faith and they'll suffer horrible persecution. But yes, some, some want to suggest that, you know, if you were alive and maybe of the age of accountability um, going in, you know, maybe you heard the gospel. I think that's only referring to uh, the hardened unbelief. But many will have heard the gospel um, uh, that, that were not hard, just hadn't been convinced. Many will hear, the 144,000 will go out, and so there'll be many, many will come to faith. Correct. Yes. Only will come to, oh yes, it's strictly a work of the Holy Spirit still then too. And so the Bible speaks of the fact the Holy Spirit will be, you know, taken away. They the, uh, will be, you know, out of the picture uh, in terms of the same manifestation in which he's dwelling now. But he will still be active, just like when he was in the Old Testament. Good. Well, with that, we can really race on the next one. We've got our technology kind of figured out. Maybe with some training, I'll be able to clue the, the slides. And, may, I don't have, and now they've got, they've got me trained. I'll just say next and not next slide. But they're actually reading my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm going ahead on my computer, and they can tell. And so we did real, pretty well. I'm impressed. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word uh, that is understandable, that, is, that teaches us so much. And Father, I pray that our study of this will encourage us and will challenge us uh, in in our faithfulness to you. Lord, we pray for the rest of this day in Jesus' name.